0: In 2022, a crack writing duo was sent to prison for podcasting crimes that they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security prison to the Austin Underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as Game Masters of Fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find their website, maybe you can hire Retro Arcanum. We join our hosts now as they enter the elevator at the Top Secret Podcast Bunker.
1: Hey, Bobby. Hey, Jeff. So, uh, man, another nice, lengthy elevator ride down to the podcast bay.
0: Yep. I wonder how long it's going to take this time.
1: I don't know, but as usual, I brought some reading material.
0: Me too. What you got there?
1: Um, So I've got this game called Mazes from Ninth Level Games, and I'm really intrigued by its dice mechanics. So it uses a system they call Polymorph that they've now used in several other systems. There's a cute little princess game. Uh, There's a game that's based on sort of Star Wars with the serial numbers filed off called Rebel Scum. But the neat thing about this is a player will only ever roll one type of die.
0: That is pretty cool. How does that work exactly?
1: So allow me to explain. So what happens is they've got the target numbers for various different kinds of of activities spread across a range. So for instance, in mazes, smarts activities, like things, they call it books, right? Uh, So things that a smart character needs to do are located in the two to three range uh, movement is located in sort of the three, four, five range. And then fighting is sort of the four, five, six range. And, and, uh, these aren't exact numbers, but that's kind of how it works. So if you're playing a smart base character, you're going to roll a D four. So you will most of the time roll the range you're looking for, for those things. But for something like maneuvering or fighting, you're going to need to roll that four Or you're going to need to roll the four and the die explodes and you roll another one and add it on top. But characters with larger die types, like a D6 or a D8, will generally skew a little bit higher on the distribution. And so they will tend to be better at other things. And as you add sides to the die, you'll have less and less chance of rolling those lower things. And so they're not quite as good at smart stuff as the D4 guy. It's, it's a really interesting mechanic, and I'm very eager to see how it works out in play.
0: Sounds very neat. Sounds quite novel, actually.
1: Yeah, I found it kind of intriguing. Like, there's no way this could be that simple, but I really liked it.
0: Yeah. What do you got? Oh, this is the Fantasy Age game by Green Ronin. Fantasy Age is built on, I believe it's called the Adventure Game Engine. Um standard kind of 3d6 except you're rolling high but it's got a very interesting stunt mechanic in it that i like um whenever you roll doubles on you, any of the three die um you gain a number of stunt points equal to your uh dragon die which is just one of the 3d6 just a different color okay. kind of like the kind of like the force die in uh, star wars Oh, okay. And you take well, those, you take those stunt points, and you're able to do cool things depending on what kind of skill you were using.
1: Oh, I like that.
0: It's very neat. I think it makes uh makes combat flow uh, a little bit better. Gives you a little bit more that you can do.
1: Wow! And now, if I'm not mistaken, isn't that the game engine that Will Wheaton's Campaign Online was using?
0: I believe it was. I know that this engine is used for, uh, the Dragon Age RPG, um, another game called Modern Age. No, I think, I think it's just those ones. Okay, cool. To be honest. Because all the rest of their stuff that I'm familiar with is basic
1: D20, uh, related. Wicked. We'll have to, I'll, I'll check yours out and, um, I'll hand you one of my extra copies of Rebel Scum since you're a Star Wars fan and you can tell me what you think about these mechanics.
0: Okay, I'll give it a look.
1: Hey, look, here we are.
0: That didn't take nearly as long this time.
1: No, not really. Maybe we'll have to bring bigger books next time.
0: Maybe. All right, let's get started. Now in the secret podcast bunker, our heroes begin the Retro Arcana podcast. Welcome to the Retro Arcana podcast. This episode, we're going to talk about dice mechanics, those cool little tricks with the math rocks that make our games interesting. From the humble D6 to the oddly appealing, at least to Jeff and I, D66 and everything above, below, and in between exploding combining and rolling and keeping we'll take a look at the mechanics we enjoy here at retro arcana and talk about what it is we find wicked cool about them before we start talking about these dice mechanics i want to take a couple of minutes to talk about uh distribution systems um and this all kind of goes down to the number of die that you're using a one-die system would be a linear distribution system. A two-die system would be a triangular distribution system. And a three-plus-die three, die, three plus die system uh, would be a bell curve. And we're not going to really get into the deep weeds with the math on this. There are many websites that can go into the explanations with visual references uh, on the distributions, give you a better idea of what we're talking about. But as a quick example, uh, we first need to talk about how we're going to achieve each, each distribution. The basics of this is in game systems at their core expect you to throw a number of dice to to achieve an outcome. The number and types of dice are different, but ultimately, the three distributions will reveal themselves once we track the results of the dice. Over time, the number of dice you throw reveal a pattern that is either linear, triangular, or a bell curve. The first and most common is a linear distribution. With a linear distribution, you roll a single die. If you throw that die enough times, all possible outcomes eventually even out. On a D20, say, because everybody's uh, favorite Dungeons and Dragons is a linear distribution system, you have the same odds of rolling a 1 as you do a 20. With a sample size of, say, 50,000 die rolls, you should see an equal number of results between all 20 numbers. The second type of distribution is triangular. Triangular. For this, you will roll two dice, and I'm going to specifically refer to rolling 2d6 for this. You know, battle tech. Always been on my mind. If you throw those two dice enough times and track the results, the distribution pattern will look like a triangle with seven as the most common result, uh, as there are more combinations that result in a seven than anything else. The third type of distribution is a bell curve. You achieve this when rolling three or more dice. I'm also a big fan of Star Wars, which use dice pools. Dice pools, you generally have three plus dice. With enough rolls, it will start to look like the triangular shape, but it will begin to, uh, the edges will begin to
1: soften, and then you will see a, a bell curve. With these distributions and enough rolls of the dice, you can determine the probability of achieving a specific result based on the type of die and the number of dice thrown. So most modern cultures are base 10 or decimal cultures. That means we count things from 0 to 9 with 10 ultimate possibilities. The places or position of the numbers are based on powers of 10, uh, whereas hexadecimal is based on powers of 16 and binary is based on powers of 2. In decimal. 100% of something is all of something. And that's what our probabilities are based on. The probability of rolling any given number with a single die on a single roll is equal to 1 divided by the number of die faces. For example, with a D20, the odds of rolling 20 is 1 in 20. To determine the percentage, we have to divide the value of the total value, then multiply that by the result we get 5%. There is a 5% chance of rolling any given number on a d20. Thus, in a traditional D&D game, you'll critical 5% of the time. Probability calculation becomes a little harder when you add multiple dice to the equation. When rolling 2d6, looking for a result of 7 or higher, you have a 58.33% chance of rolling 7 or higher. These probabilities and how to achieve specific outcomes are the basis of all gaming, with the exception of things like Castle Falkenstein or Amber Diceless. One uses cards and the other is literally diceless. There are mathematical underpinnings to how the card system works, but right now we're just kind of looking at dice.
0: In the basic role play game by Chaosium, skills are rolled with a D100. Build your character to determine your skill, and then roll d100 either equal to or under the skill to determine your success. If you have a knowledge skill of 67, you have a 67% chance of succeeding on your skill. This is really intuitive to new players, since most of us have a concept of what 67% means, but wouldn't necessarily know how possible it is to roll an 8 or better on a 2d8 or an 11 or less on 3d6. D-100 can be achieved two ways, either by rolling two D-10s with one designated as the 10s place and the other designated as the 1s. Thus, if you were to roll a 6 on the 10s and a 5 on the 1s, you will have rolled a 65. The second is a D-100, which I kind of first saw back in the early 2000s. It is a large die with 100 sides. Now I know what you're going to say. How can you roll two dice and achieve a linear distribution? Each one is read separately, and given enough throws will balance out the same as if you were to roll the single D100.
1: So here's some examples of how all these probabilities and dice mechanics are used in some RPGs we've played in the past or present. D&D 1974, the first role-playing game, uses rules that allow for all three of these distribution types, whereas most modern games stick to one or two. D&D-74 offered the option to use Chainmail, the miniatures game, as a resolution engine, which largely uses 2D6 versus armor type, or to use the alternative system, which is the great-grandfather of the modern D20 versus armor class. The 2D6 distribution tested against an educated guess about the efficacy of a given weapon versus a given type of armor. Results tended to cluster around the number seven and become increasingly less common the farther above or below seven a given value which presents a triangular progression. Armor class as we know it is a linear progression. Each point of AC is the same amount higher or lower to hit than the point before or after it, since a single die has the same chance of rolling any given value. Some versions of D&D included a weapon versus armor table, to adjust this math to be similar to the old chainmail table but modern D&D uses simple linear math the bell curve appears when we roll for ability scores 3d6 for ability scores creates a bell curve the results tended to cluster around 10 and a half so 10s and 11s but they swung wildly this made extremely high ability scores quite valuable even when most of what they did in 1974 was modify experience points to allow the PC to level faster.
0: Now, there are a couple of variations to these uh, probability mechanics. One of the ones that Jeff and I are uh, quite in love with is the D66 system used in MechWarrior 1st edition and several editions of Traveler. And this gives results of 11 to 66. The D60 system, used by Top Secret SI, gives results of 10 to 69. While these function like the D100 and are linear, the range is different than a standard D100 distribution. And you'd read that like a D100, but rolled with different dice. D66 uses two D6s, D60 uses a D6 and a D10. This can be done with any two dice, really, and basically creates a linear matrix of equal probable or equally probable results equal to the size of the first die times the size of the second. In the case of D66,
1: 36 different results. So Roland Key, early on, as early as AD&D first edition, though probably house ruled or in strategic review or the dragon long before that, was the variations on rolling ability scores. The one most of us remember is roll 4d6 and drop the lowest die. This is still a bell curve, and it's still possible to roll a 3, but it will require all four dice to roll a 1, which is quite a bit less probable. It also makes rolling an 18 more probable, since you've got an extra die with which to roll that 6. This was taken to an extreme in 1985's Unearthed Arcana, where classes were given numbers of dice to roll that almost guaranteed high scores in certain areas. A fighter rolled nine D6 for strength and kept the best three. Roll and keep has, in the interim, become a core mechanic in and of itself in games like the original editions of 7C and Legend of the Five Rings, where a number of D10s were rolled with a varying number kept to generate a result. Roll and keep also appears quite often with the advantage-disadvantage mechanic popularized by D&D 5th edition and popping up in many other game designs.
0: Another variation is dice pools. Well, dice pools itself is not a variation. Dice pools is simply the way to get a bell curve, three or more dice. But there are a couple of different variations within that. The first one is cumulative. Games like Tunnels and Trolls, Ghostbusters, and Star Wars D6 use pools of dice rolled together, or rolled and added together to generate a result. The results tend to become more predictable as, as dice are added, since the average tends to appear more often with more dice involved. But this also introduces the potential for massive swings on lucky or unlucky rolls. Some more variation is added in games like Earth Dawn, where dice of different sizes are introduced to further change the probabilities. Another variation is the versus target number. Games like Shadowrun and Vampire the Masquerade popularize the dice pool versus the target number. A number of dice are rolled, and the ones that roll a certain number or higher count as successes or hits. That number is what is used to measure success or failure. Variations on this appear in Savage Worlds, where no matter what wild card character rolls for a trait, a d6 wild die is also rolled, and the higher of the two scores is a success. And this also introduces the concept of exploding dice, in which dice that roll above a certain number, often their maximum value, are given a special significance. In some games, they are re rolled and the values added, allowing a die to hit a target number higher than its maximum value. In others, it allows an addition die to be rolled that may or may not score another success. This isn't just a D6 thing. The roll master system and derivatives use an open-ended roll where high results of D100 have another D100 added to them and low results of D100 have a D100 subtracted from them. Quality of success or failure can be measured by how many dice score the target number, or difficulty could be based on how many dice hit a static target number, such as Shadowrun 6th edition, where fives and sixes on a d6 count as a hit, and difficulty is measured in how many hits are required. This is also, in a modified form, how the venerable hero system rolls damage. Non-lethal damage is counted in body and stun, with stun being calculated by the totals on the dice and body being determined by the number of ones, sixes, and everything in between. A one is no body, a two to five is one body, and a six is two body. In effect, this will generally mean the result is equal to the number of dice rolled, but a lot of ones or sixes will swing the result.
1: Killing attacks are calculated differently. Then we have dice chains. In a dice chain, larger or smaller dice are rolled to represent better or worse chances of doing something. Without considering the wild die, this is a basic tenet of Savage Worlds. It also appeared in Earth Dawn, and is a core mechanic of Dungeon Crawl classics. Rather than a flat penalty for two-weapon fighting, a character might roll two d16s instead of d20s. Games based on the DCC engine introduce even more weird dice for just this reason d5 d7 d14 d16 d24 and more and as we talked about earlier during the elevator pitch the polymorph system introduces something that's relatively new um it's games like mazes and rebel scum that use this interesting die mechanic where a character only rolls one type of die ever this die type is key to the core concept of the character And target numbers are such that the different dice are more or less likely to succeed in various ranges. For example, if an intelligence-related skill uses low target numbers and fighting skills use high ones, a smart character would roll a d4, while fighty types would roll a d8 or d10. The smart character could still succeed at high numbers if their die explodes, and the fighty characters could still succeed at smart space skills if they roll low. But both are far more likely to succeed within their area of expertise. It's an interesting and rather novel mechanic that creates some fast, simple gaming.
0: Next, we have fudge, fate, and the Genesis-style canceling dice. In these games, the dice have positive and negative value, sometimes on different dice entirely, and can cancel each other out. The simplest expression of this mechanic is the fudge or fate dice, which are marked with a plus, a minus, and a blank. Rolling plus, plus, blank, and minus results in a total of one. With the two pluses counting as a one value, the blank counting as zero, and the minus counting as negative one. The tendency of these dice will be to average out to zero, but again, with more than two dice involved, the actual distribution starts to look like a bell curve. In Genesis, which was used in the Star Wars game from FFG... There are multiple custom symbols on dice of various uh, sizes and colors that are assembled into a dice pool for any time you roll an attribute uh, or a skill check. But you're also required on some occasions to toss in a boost die to represent help from an ally and then toss in a difficulty die for the task. You build your dice pool and you roll them all and then you evaluate the symbols kind of like you do with the plus and the minus from fate. The twist in this system is that there are two axes of outcome. Basically, success and failure and good luck and bad luck. For example, it's possible to miss a target and have something good occur or succeed at a hacking role but have an enemy system admin notice your presence. These games required custom dice unless you wanted to use stickers on uh, conventional dice or conversion charts, but can generate very dramatic results once you get used to them. The flip side is every die roll must be narratively interpreted by the GM, which can become kind of a chore, but overall the mechanics were really popular.
1: So custom dice, let's talk about that. Some players love them, some players hate them but custom dice can add an interesting twist to a game. Modiphius 2D20 system uses custom D6s to determine effects. These are usually numbered one, two, blank, blank, effect, effect, or something similar. Ones and twos are totaled normally. Blanks are ignored, and effects count as one, but can also trigger neat side effects to a given role, say based on the weapon or other piece of equipment being used. The Fudge Face Genesis dice we already talked about are custom dice. But in the case of the Modiphius game, these dice have only positive or neutral results, so they don't cancel their other results out. The D20s used by the 2D20 system are, of course, standard D20s. So these are just some of the dice mechanics that are out there. And there's a lot of really novel and interesting mechanics that we haven't even scratched the surface of. Um, For instance, before the show started, we were talking about how the top secret game determines hit location using the same dice roll that it used to determine whether an attack hits or not. And the higher a skill, the more of a chance you're going to get that critical headshot. Uh, There's also some other interesting kind of dice mechanics out there. Uh, The 2d20 system allows you to roll more or fewer d20s based on other circumstances, including how well your allies have done on completely unrelated skills before you. The generation of momentum points allows you to increase the number of d20s you're going to use, which of course increases your chances of rolling successes.
0: Thank you very much for listening to the Retro Arcana podcast. If you like this content and want to see more, put Retro Arcana in your GM's toolkit by hitting the subscribe button. You can also reach out to us on our website www.retroarcana.com or hit us up on Twitter at retroarcana. I'm Bobby.
1: And I'm Jeff. And may your dice
0: roll high.
1: Unless you're playing Gerps.